Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, July 25th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. Had coming off a very chill night with friends, whereas last weekend, I think we talked and I, we'd had a friend in town, so all gone very hard. The after effects of that kind of still in play. We were sitting around a table with a bunch of melons sliced up, sipping seltzers and wine, but certainly not drinking them and had a very relaxing evening and got out for a big walk today that kind of pooped me and put me out. So nice, busy, relaxing weekend. How about you? Yeah, similar here. Uh, Big rain, thunderstorms yesterday. So it was a day of uh, Olympics morning and evening. And then in between lots of Netflix, really nothing exciting there. And then uh, got another W on the score sheet today in softball um, and uh, got out for a workout in both mornings. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling a little tired, feeling a little sore, but I'm happy to be here on the mic with you uh, and ready to talk some sports this Sunday evening. All right, let's get right after it then. All righty. So we do have basketball lined up. We've got a bit of football lined up, a little bit of hockey, a little bit of baseball, but first a new sports segment brought to you by uh let's see here blue snowball mic brought to you by zoom our uh our free sponsors just providing us the services and uh with the olympics underway we'll have the segment tokyo bros is my uh initial coining of the term it's it's a little gross but we'll stick with it for now see if we can't find anything better to do and i just thought we'd take it take the time and kind of break down for me, my my top five storylines uh, since the last recording of the pod. And so for that, it'll be the first time we do this segment. I know Max has some catching up to do on the Olympic side, but for me, I've got some stuff down on paper here that I'm going to talk about. And the very first takeaway that I want to talk about is it's panic button time for USA basketball. <laughs> they lose their opening group pl- group stage match uh, to France. They were down uh, in the third quarter, made a great run, some solid defense, and they ended up going up by eight in the fourth quarter and choke it away. Uh, A absolute dagger three by none other than Evan Fournier of the Orlando Magic. But now that he's in France, he is LeBron James. And uh Yabu Sele with a great hustle play, something you didn't see from the Americans last night, diving on the floor, saving it to an open Fournier for the three, puts up, puts France up two, and they hold on to the lead. And uh, it was really fascinating to watch this game with no defensive three in the key violation. Rudy Gobert just camping in the paint, welcoming all comers and really having an impact on this game. Uh, the Americans, you can tell, are a little bit rattled by the increased physicality and lack thereof of calls associated with the physicality and the lack of space that is in international basketball. The three-point line is a little bit closer, and so things are a little bit tighter. And then with no three in the key, Rudy Gobert sitting in that paint, France actually ran two seven-footers at a time at some point. And so it's just a lot of presence in the paint, and they're not getting those easy uh, open space layups that they're used to in the NBA. And so they're relying on a lot of individuals for creation and you're not seeing this cohesive unit coming together yet for the United States. Devin Booker didn't look like he had a great time. I'm sure it's been a long week for him. And then Drew Holiday winning an NBA finals, going to the parade. Then they hop on the flight and he comes right into Tokyo. First game, he's picking guys up 94 feet. He's dug in. He's still in NBA finals mode. He was maybe the U.S.'s best player because he looked like he was the one who gave, who cared the most in that game. He's working his butt off both ends of the floor. And and I think the U.S. needs to learn a little bit from these guys. They have guys who love giving it their all, but it just doesn't seem like it's coming through for them enough. Um, So they need a little bit more size and I think a little bit more playmaking 
they don't have someone who necessarily glues this team together on the offensive end, like a Chris Paul, like a Kyle Lowry, like a Trey Young, even where you're distributing the ball, getting the guys in rhythm. They don't necessarily have that uh, in their point guards. And so it, it could be a very short stay for USA basketball if, if things continue the way they do. And, and really fascinating to see some of Damian Lillard's comments after the game where international guys, they just they get better when they go and play at home. Obviously, they've got that pride component, but it also is because a lot of them grew up almost valuing the international basketball at a higher level than the NBA. They are a lot more used to playing those systems. There's a little bit more continuity. There's a little bit more familiarity with the rules and how to take advantage of the differences in the game. And so guys like Evan Fournier, guys like Nando Tocolo, uh, guys like Yabusele, guys like Gobert, and Gobert is probably the biggest superstar on that team, but these French players who are Bench players, end of bench players in the NBA actually have a very significant impact in the same way that some of these U.S. stars do because of the way that they can play in their team system. Um, and so it's going to be fascinating to see if the U.S. can turn this around. Any team that's got Kevin Durant on it, it's going to be really solid. But he had 10 points on 4 of 12 shooting in this first game, and they're going to need a lot more from him if they're going to have success. Yeah, I did catch that play right at the last minute where Team USA missed three pretty wide open three pointers, and that the nail in the coffin on their loss. If you were to ask any betting man what the chances of that happening once are, let alone multiple times, I don't think many people would take that line. So have to expect they pull it together in the next two games against weaker opponents than France, but. The stuff I was reading, hearing about this game was like, wow, this really is a bit of a slap in the face of the NBA. This was such enjoyable basketball to watch that flowed really well. And all these superstars looked lost without the refs giving them every call they wanted and having to deal with the increased physicality. Yeah, timeouts are shorter, things flow better. And this is the first time the U.S. has lost in actual Olympic play since 2004. And it's a 25-game straight winning streak. And they had already lost two friendlies against Nigeria and Australia. So if they haven't woken up by now, they it might just be that they're not ready to play. And that could very well be what's happening. So going to be really fascinating to continue to follow this um, because it, it like – so different from what we've seen in the past from from the Americans and and in the end as well you got to give some credit to these world teams the progression has been great like Canada didn't make the Olympics and they have a bunch of NBA stars hopes were high but you've got teams from places that are just growing their programs and having success you're also seeing it with the three-on-three basketball which I watched for the first time this morning really really fascinating stuff it's basically glorified pickup basketball that you'll see at all the hoops in 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 your like backyard or in the alleyway or at local parks uh really really cool i actually like it because there's never stoppages like it just as soon as a bucket scored you kick it out to the three-point line and it clears and then you're good to go again really interesting they played at 21 um i think the bonus is at six fouls it's really fascinating stuff uh but all of the teams that are competitors in that are european asian teams where they're, they're committed to learning three-on-three because three it's a little bit easier to pick up than a full five-on-five five NBA game. But basketball is growing all around the world. And so the U.S., got to watch out. We'll move on. Uh, my second takeaway here, just a quick shout-out to Team Canada as we are a Canadian-based podcast. Two silver medals uh, last night, one in the 4 by 100 meter freestyle from the Canadian woman, Penny Alex- Alexiak, anchoring that uh, leg and, and she was great and she just outstretched the Americans for the silver medal in that one. Um, the Australians in that race setting a new world record, which was really cool. They blew everyone out of the water. Uh, but shout out to Alexiak. She had some struggles after being a breakout phenom at Rio. Uh, a lot of pressure put on her, her and Bianca in very similar positions in that regard. But it looks like she's come to compete at, at uh, Tokyo and really excited to see what she can do. 
And then the other silver medal coming to uh, the pair of Canadians in the three meter springboard synchronized diving. Uh, they start out a little slow, but some errors from Great Britain from the U.S. allowed them to propel themselves into straight lock into silver. You knew China was going to win. They always win gold in this event, but Canada uh, comfortably in the silver medal. Really great for uh, Jessica Abel, who finished fourth in two of her events at Rio four years ago. A very decorated world champion, but has yet to have really that true success in the Olympics. So really happy for her in her fourth Olympics, grabbing a silver medal in the synchro diving. My third takeaway, I think this was probably my favorite moment so far from the Olympics uh, with Tokyo 2020. Obviously, it's still named 2020. It's happening in 2021. That layoff from the pandemic has kind of muddled where things stand in terms of who is actually at the top of the world because events haven't been as frequent. And so you don't have as good a read on who you expect to finish first, second, third. And so you have these people who've had an extra year to train. So especially some of the younger kids are actually getting a shot when they wouldn't have had a shot last year, but these younger kids who are maturing, growing in their bodies, they get an extra year. And so some people are coming out of the fold here out of nowhere. And one of them was Ahmed Hafnui from Tunisia. He won the men's 400 meter freestyle uh, against some uh, experienced competition. He was not expected. He was in lane eight. And then you just saw him make a push at the bottom. He touched it. He comes out of the pool and he looks at just the pure shock and emotion. And uh, his coach was going absolutely bonkers up in the, in the bleachers. It was just a really cool moment because totally not expected just had the race of his life. And now he's an Olympic gold medalist, just a really cool moment. And he was fired up in the pool. Awesome. I wanted to shout out Oksana Chuzo, uh, wait, Chuzo Vitina. I totally butchered that last name. Uh, a 46 year old Olympian in the gymnastics events, her eighth Olympics, uh, finally her last, but wanted to shout her out. Really cool to see her compete. Um, hit two pretty difficult vaults, um, not up to her normal standard, but uh, two difficult vaults nonetheless. It was a pretty touching tribute uh, seeing her go out. She didn't qualify for the finals in vault, but amazing that someone at that age and eight Olympics and still competing still like has their health because it's really tough on the body to compete at that many Olympics. And so that was really cool to see her compete. She's a legend in gymnastics. Uh, and then I'll stay with Jim for my fifth takeaway, Simone Biles. A lot of talk about expectations, right? We talked about Penny, but Simone is basically expected to win gold in every single event that she competes in, which is lofty, which she has done. But now she's back and she has qualified for the finals in all of her events, plus the all around. But you saw a little bit of slippage from her, some big errors in her floor routine, in her beam, in her vault. And so is she invincible at these Olympics? We shall see. There's a lot of pressure for her, uh, but she's into those finals. That's She's where she needs to be, and we'll see if she can improve and, and come through for the Americans uh, in gymnastics. So that's going to be my top five takeaways. I don't know, Max, if you want to throw anything else in there. I'll add on to your last point that greatness is defined 90% by what you can and can't do in the big moments. So as long as you give yourself the opportunity to step up in that big moment, that's how we're going to remember. Uh, bringing it back to Penny Alexiak, she struggled a lot of the past five years in between Rio and now had one of the best races she's had since Rio in the Canadian Olympic qualifying trials to earn herself the slot on the team that she now has. And she's off to a great start. And looking back at Rio, it only improved. So for Simone and all these Olympians, I mean, that's what makes Djokovic the best tennis player, his ability to be the best in the big moments when it really matters. That's Jordan. That's why we don't talk about a guy like Connor McDavid the way we talk about those other legends. So not yet, anyways. For sure. Hockey yeah. a little different. That's why Crosby's golden goal holds so much significance, though. Yeah. Yeah. 
Actually, that reminds me of a really cool moment this week. I was reading a tweet on Twitter. Uh, Jamie Alexiak, who was just selected by the Seattle Kraken in this week's expansion draft, was was talking about um, to the American media why his sister is so special. She did Penny did win the Lou Marsh Award back in 2016 as the uh, Canadian Athlete of the Year, and he uh, he turned and he pointed to Sidney Crosby and was like, "If it means something, she bid out that guy for the award." Uh, and that's saying something with the year that Penny had, and also Sid's greatness. Uh, cool little moment there. We're gonna take a quick break and exit Tokyo, fly all the way back around the world, and uh, arrive, I believe, in Chicago, where the upcoming NBA draft will be held. We'll be right back, and we're back. I'm about to do my mocked NBA draft. Uh, I'm going to do just the lottery. So picks one through 14. And I took an approach of a mixture of what I think is going to happen and then what I think should happen and who these teams should be picking. Uh, There will be no trades. That's just too difficult to mock, although it seems like Buzz is coming around that Houston has made really big uh, moves to try and acquire that number one pick from Detroit. It seems like Cleveland's been getting a ton of trade offers. They might move down. Orlando has two picks. Golden State has two picks. OKC also has a bunch of picks. You could see some of those teams trying to move up maybe or move those for a package that includes other players. Lots of intrigue and buzz surrounding the upcoming NBA draft. And for good reason, it's really fun, exciting time in the year. You love, especially in the NBA, I feel like people love to project these guys ahead so many years and think they already know what these kids are. Um, so really, really fun. And again, in the NBA, more so than other sports, you can get someone who can impact your team's chances of winning right away. And so that's what a lot of these top five, eight guys I think can really do. So without further ado, We will go to the number one pick. The Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham uh, from Oklahoma State. No surprise there. He has been number one now for many, many years. Uh, And there's so many reasons why. I've already basically talked about him endlessly throughout the season, throughout his college season. He's playing on a relatively weak team that he managed to take into the NCAA tournament. Um, Seven, six, seven, six, eight point guard, great size, great versatility, great playmaking, um, and a great shooter. Wasn't a great shooter coming into college, ended up being probably the second best shooter on his team. So if you could project that out to the NBA, that would be really helpful for him in his space, but then also great pick and roll work. Like he can make any pass because of his size. And then on the defensive end, because of his frame as well, there's a lot of room for growth there really could be a two-way special type of player that can fit in with almost any team. So with Detroit, obviously there's not a ton that they would try and avoid picking. It's not like they have an all-star center or an all-star guard that they're trying to pick for need. But even still, you could put Cade with anyone. He can play one, two, three in your order and just be that extra playmaking presence. Great pick. I love Cade. Um, Detroit's got a good one here. Number two, uh, this is maybe a surprise for you, Max, because you haven't seen all the movement that's been happening, but the Houston Rockets here, I have taking Jalen Green with the number two pick over Evan Mobley, um, partially because of Christian Wood existing on that roster. I think that's not the main reason, because if that's your main reason for not taking a surefire all-star like Evan Mobley, then you've got issues. I think they just love the superstar ceiling that Jalen Green has. The explosiveness is uncanny. He's already performed at a really high level against professional players in the G League bubble. And just that different level of scoring is something that you can't always get in these guys. It's one thing to have a microwave. It's another one to see someone who has the potential to do it every night. Um, It's that next step that Devin Booger needs to take. But then you're looking at guys like Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Steph Curry, James Harden, who consistently give you 20, 25 every night. That's what Jalen Green could be. And so it's too tantalizing to pass that up. Uh, And that is why they may go with Jalen Green there at number two. Which then leaves number three, the Cleveland Cavaliers, with a bit of a conundrum. Uh, we've seen reports See where this is going. Yeah, we've seen reports though where uh, the 
Raptors have been interested in acquiring Jarrett Allen. Um, so Jared Allen definitely could be on the market here. If I'm Cleveland, I'm taking best player available regardless of position. I know I have Jared Allen, but that's not going to stop me from taking Evan Mobley because a, like if you want to move Allen for assets, you definitely can. Um, you've also got these two young guards that you've invested in, in Sexton and Garland that he would fit well with. I also think you can run Evan Mobley at the four and then you've got absolutely massive front court between Allen and Mobley as your four and five Mobley has the um, lateral quickness and the perimeter skills to be a four or a five in, in a smaller ball lineup. And I just think the options that Cleveland has by taking him are better than force than pigeonholing yourself, yourself into trying to take a wing to match out your lineup with the two guards and with Jared Allen. So I have Evan Mobley number three to the Cavs. I was wrong about where this was going. Who did the <laughs> yes, yes. Take? I I would absolutely die if Evan Mobley fell to the Raptors at four. I just think he's too good of a prospect that he doesn't get past three, which then leaves an interesting position for the Raptors, right? I told you that Scotty Barnes was rising on boards everywhere because of the thought of what he could be. But if I'm the Raptors, I'm taking a surefire guy that you know is going to come in and help your team win now. And that's Jalen Suggs at point. Um, there are some people who love Jalen Suggs as even like a number two pick here, just because of, you know, he's going to be good. It's kind of like that Tyrese Halliburton. He ended up falling to 11, but like he came in and was good right away because you just knew he had the IQ, the skills on both sides of the ball. And so uh, Jalen Suggs, very similar. The other thing I love about this guy for the Raptors is they haven't had a explosive rim attacking guard since probably Damar. Uh, you could say Norman Powell as a bench presence, but Jalen Suggs is a point guard who can come in and dunk on some people's heads. And that is really fun. It's an awesome player to watch. And I think he just fits in well with this Raptors team, especially with all of the talk that Lowry may be on the move. Um, a great guy to fill into that lineup and I just, you can't miss with that. So take the sure thing that you know is going to be really, really solid um, because Scotty Barnes seems a little bit uh, redundant with some of the position players you have like Pascal and OG. At five, the Orlando Magic will be taking Scotty Barnes. Again, I talked about him last podcast, so I'll go quick through this one. Um, it just is another player that Orlando's grabbing that is all uh, size and maybe not the best raw skills. So I think with their next pick, they should go with maybe a little bit more sure skilled player because they're just adding to Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac, uh, not Aaron Gordon anymore, but uh, Chumo Kiki. Some of the other picks they've made have just been like really long guys who don't who have a ton of upside, but don't necessarily end up getting there. Um, and, and Scotty Barnes is another guy to add to that list. At six, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I have selecting Jonathan Kaminga. So this is another guy who has wavered a ton in the past uh, month or so on big boards because of teams worry about some of the off court stuff with Kaminga, some of the commitment uh, issues. He kind of quit on his team in the G league bubble and going back to high school, there's hesitancies there. And also how raw he is as a prospect. Like you look at the size, you look at the frame, you look at the defensive upside and even some of the shot creation he showed in the bubble, like salivating stuff, he could be end up being the best guy in this draft based on what he can do athletically. But the risk is still high, and he has fallen with some of the off-court stuff. And, and I think OKC is a team that can afford to take a couple flyers because of this absolute wealth of picks that they have. Um, they can just take shots at a dartboard and a couple of them with the high upside, they might pop and then you've got a fantastic team. So they can definitely afford to take Kuminga here at six, the golden state warriors at seven. Uh, this is a team that has a couple needs that you'd like to see. Will Wiseman take a step forward? Should they take another big? There's not really any bigs here that would work in the win now system. Um, maybe another wing to play some defense. Uh, but I have them going for a reliable score because you have seen where Steph Curry, when he's not on this fl floor, the team falls apart. And so they need more scoring from their bench. That's why I have Golden State selecting James Booknight 
at seven. He has rocketed up boards along with Scotty Barnes because of, uh, again, teams seeing he, he was on a little bit of a weaker team in the past. And he was able to shoot the lights out. He's a three-level scorer. He's got a great frame. Um, and I think he can be a guy who comes in and scores for this team right away as a microwave. At number eight, I have the Orlando Magic selecting Davion Mitchell uh, out of Baylor. This was the guy who had the tournament of a lifetime uh, and helped Baylor win the NCAA title against Gonzaga. Um, just was a force on both ends. He's a shutdown defensive player and was knocking down shots on the offensive side. He's a little bit smaller than you would like to see, but I think he fits well into Orlando's system alongside Cole Anthony. It's a little bit small uh, backcourt, but a guy who can come in, play either guard position and, and really help this already really long Orlando Magic team play some really stifling defense. So I like the fit. At number nine, I have the Sacramento Kings going with Franz Wagner. Uh, he played with Michigan this year and, and had some struggles in the NCAA tournament, but there's a lot to like out of him. Um, he's a forward who can hit some spot-up threes. He's got some playmaking ability. Uh, he's a little bit weaker on the defensive end, but the Kings bagly not working out. They're going to need to replace that forward position to fit alongside some of their guards who are younger and, and progressing. And I think Wagner is a solid spot there um, because he can play with the ball in his hands, or he can play as a, a spot up shooter around Fox healed Halliburton, etc. At number 10, I have the new Orleans Pelicans selecting Keon Johnson out of Tennessee. Um, this is a guy who's falling a little bit on big boards, but I went with a guy who I think would just be so fun on this Pelicans team, right? With Ingram, with Kira Lewis Jr., with Zion, of course. They love to run and get up and down the floor. And Keon Johnson posting the record uh, vertical in the NBA combine at 48 inches. He is super explosive. Similar to Kira Lewis, I like these guys that just can run, can bounce. Uh, he is a physical player. I think he could just be a great complimentary guy to Zion and, and they could be throwing each other lobs. And that would be so much fun to see that go down. All right. At number 11, I have the Charlotte Hornets selecting Usman Garuba from Spain. Uh, Real Madrid was his team in Europe, which is a really high class team. Um, so some pedigree here coming over compared to some of the, the younger players. Usman is probably the best defender in this draft class. Uh, great rim protector, great, even like solid perimeter defender um, and really energetic, gives you some great rebounding. Uh, feels like a, a Pascal starting out, feels like a bit of a Kawhi starting out. Maybe not the ceiling of those guys, but just the, the baseline energy and defensive ability is really, really fun. Um, and I think he would work in Charlotte because He'll catch the lobs from LaMelo. He will be a great part in that offense who have a lot of ball handlers, a lot of creators where he can just feel free to do the dirty work and then be a defender and make up for some of the limitations that Charlotte has on that side of the ball. So I really like the fit here. At number 12, the Spurs. I went a little bit off the board here because he has fallen. And again, a guy who's had struggles with off-court stuff, but I did talk about him really early in the season, Duke's Jalen Johnson, because coming into the year, he was a top five talent and everyone was really, really excited to see what he did. But again, quit on Duke. They pulled out of the tournament, just a really tough year for him, but he's like, he's six, eight, six, nine forward, but he's got great perimeter skills. Like just the length and the body type is unbelievable. He's a great shooter um, and, and could be really fun pick for San Antonio to, to put beside their young guard rotation and um, just a fun toy. And, and if any system could get Jalen into shape, it would be San Antonio's with Greg Popovich, right? I think the maturity there in that organization would really help him um, and could help him maximize his potential. With the 13th pick, I have the Indiana Pacers selecting Kai Jones uh, from Texas. And Jones is another one of those raw guys. I think he's even more raw than Usman Garuba, who I mentioned earlier. But again, 
can bring a ton of energy. He's got some baseline perimeter skills. Um, he can shoot it a little bit and then provide a ton of versatile defense. He's quick footed, but he's also a big dude and, and can rebound well. And like, he can jump out of the building. He's a great running gun guy. And I think it would be good to have a little bit more of an explosive player to put beside Sabonis Turner and Brogdon. Um, a guy who can give a little bit more energy because because Indiana is missing that kind of wing player who can play with the bigger wings, but also is willing to just get in the crevices of that team and do the dirty work. They have a lot of skill guys and they're missing that. And then rounding out uh, with the 14th pick, there were a lot of ways I could go th- this way with Golden State. Um, again, for them, they're looking for team guys to plug in and win now. So I went with best player available, but it might have too many guards on this team. Uh, Josh Giddy from out from Australia, another pro player coming over, uh, very young, and he is a great ball handler, great distributor, can run an offense, um, and like his playmaking is is elite, and and he could develop into a pretty good shot creator. So again, you'll have Book Knight and Giddy as your kind of rookies working with Nico Mannion, all of that rotation, just more guys to help Curry when he's off the floor, even when he's on the floor as an outlet to provide that playmaking. And um, with either of these guys, also you could move them for something that fits a little bit better into your rotation. But I like Giddy here as the best player available. Some of the names that I didn't choose that are left here, Corey Kispert, Chris Duarte, Moses Moody, Cameron Thomas, Zaire Williams, love his upside, uh, and Alprin Shengun the Turkish big man who's turning back the clock a little bit with some of his post moves uh, and was the MVP of the Turkish league at 18. So really like he's a shot in the dark where he can fall. Um, You've got some similarities to Luca and the fact where like he may fall because teams are unwilling to learn about the uh, international players and he could come in and dominate. But at the same time, his game doesn't necessarily translate the best to the NBA. So really fascinating to see where he lands and who's going to take a chance on him. Wow. That's it for my lottery mock draft. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I thought we could jump in really quickly and address some of the stuff. Obviously, I don't think this will happen. And Lakers fans are probably the most delusional fan base in the NBA, but they love to talk about who's going to come and join them. Uh, Russell Westbrook is rumored to be one of those players. Uh, and of course we saw a couple of days ago, DeRozan saying that he would take a pay cut to go play for a winner. And so of course all Lakers fans instantly going, he's coming home. He's coming back to LA uh, and Kyle Lowry is going to join him. I don't think they have the cap space to do all of this, but it would be cool to see those two reunited on a championship contender, even if it's not going to happen. Uh, I just thought it was funny. LA, it would be cool to see yeah, like Toronto, right? Yeah, it really any any team north of the U.S. border, it would be really cool to see those two reunite on. I would not complain if DeRozan came home. He's definitely evolved his game. Yeah, I I think we, especially if we take uh, Suggs, gonna have trouble fitting in DeRozan into that backcourt. But yeah. Yeah, so fun rumors. I don't. I, I like... heard that one too. I <laughs> maybe a little more cynical, but don't see it that far out of the realm of possibility. Or I wouldn't be shocked. Hmm. Yeah. I also the Westbrook thing. I think would be a terrible choice for the Lakers because he cannot shoot and space the floor for their two stars. And then he, you know, like Westbrook is Superman, right? He thinks he should have the ball. And so I just don't think it would work out. So if I'm the Lakers fan, I'm not trying to get Westbrook. I think that's just a bad fit. Yeah. There's also something I heard about uh, Schroeder wanting a $100 million contract. Oh, yeah. Schroeder wants a lot. And him and Kuzma were fighting throughout the first round of the playoffs. So one of those guys is leaving. I saw Kuzma rumored to be in a package that might take him to Sacramento in exchange for Buddy Heald which could be an interesting fit for both teams. Um, but obviously like anything involving the Lakers, you have to take with a grain of salt because of the, uh, their belief that they, um, that they can get anyone <laughs> delusional fan base. Hear me out. If, if you look at the last Lakers season, what 
it started off great. It was going well. They faltered midway and really struggled to right the ship, stumbled more, and that downward trajectory is kind of what hurt them in the playoffs. We're talking injuries mostly. So you're looking to fix that. What do you want? A guy who's going to come in, play impervious to injuries, get better as the season goes, and really carry the team midway through the end of the season. Maybe there's something there if you think LeBron can manage Westbrook's ego. I can see it. It just once playoff comes, he gets so exposed. Like you need that spacing. And then he's going to be trying, like we saw the Westbrook KD thing in Oklahoma city, right? Westbrook thought he should be taking the last shot. He was, he, he is great at making other people better, but that's what you have LeBron for. So I just, I don't know. It's, it would be great for the regular season, right? They could almost just alternate nights where they get triple doubles. (laughs) But uh, I think when it comes playoff time, it's not, not what you want to see. No, you would, I would make that deal as general manager if and only if I felt felt like I could get Westbrook under check in the playoffs. Maybe you even run the ball through him first half, but as long as he understands he's the third guy on that roster and down the clutch, you let Davis and LeBron do their thing. And maybe you even have him off the court for a big part of that fourth quarter where you need guys who you know are going to hit the open shots. But it, that would be a fun way to roll the dice. And I think it would fill some holes on the second look that I just gave. So we shall see. Uh, NBA free agency is always a heck of a time. So I'm looking forward to that. But first the NBA draft, which I'm also really pumped for. Um, I think before we take our break and talk some hockey, I want to just sneak a little bit of football fan cave in here. A lot of reports recently of the Green Bay Packers. They are absolutely in disarray. Um, Aaron Rodgers talks of him maybe retiring as soon as next week uh, due to his frustrations, and he can't get out of his contract and go anywhere else, so he would just be forced to retire. Um, Devontae Adams' contract talks have stalled, and he looks like he may be sitting out the beginning of the season. And then also Zadarius Smith, a report leaked out the other day that he was unhappy with contract talks in green Bay. So I don't know what they're doing there, but they seem to have alienate alienated all of their star players uh, really unfortunate for this team. And it is so fascinating to see how this is going to end up happening. Um, obviously in the NFL teams are a lot more accustomed to putting their foot down less player empowerment, but in this case, like, come on, these are your three best guys. You kind of got to cater to them. Because without him, you you don't know where you're going to be. Um, so it'll be really, really fascinating to see. We've already talked about some of the landing spots for Aaron Rodgers, should he be traded, but it looks like Green Bay is not committing to that. And so Aaron Rodgers retiring. Stay tuned next week. Could happen. Wow. that I mean, if one player can't make the power, can't hold enough power they go to other players and it sounds more simultaneous and coincidental than planned and conspiratorial and i don't know if their contracts are worded in a way to try and ban that type of uh collective bargaining against team behavior but wow that would be something oh yeah would be changing to the football landscape All right. Well, we'll be staying tuned for that. Yeah. Canada currently getting its butt kicked in rugby by Great Britain, uh, 24 to nothing at halftime. Bummer. Uh, We'll take a quick break. Come back for some talking hockey. And we're back. Sports Next Door. Myself, Max, with me, Owen. Going to wrap up the show with our talking hockey segment. We I actually had no idea the NHL draft was on until the next day and I heard some of the headlines, but been through them and now we're ready to talk about them. Oh yeah. Before we get to the draft though, um, overshadowed by the numerous uh, amount of bombshell trades that happened just hours, days prior. Um, So we'll go through those trades and then we will talk about the draft that never seemed to end Uh, round two, Round one and round two took probably a total of 12 hours combined. And then 
rounds three through seven took another eight. It was a very long draft. Uh, but alas, we will move back in time and talk about how Philly got busy this week. Uh, the Flyers making deals to acquire defenseman Rasmus Ristolainen from the Buffalo Sabres. Acquire, uh, at, it was uh, Atkinson from the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for Voracek. And also earlier in the week had acquired Ryan Ellis in that trade before the expansion draft uh, in exchange for, I believe it was Nolan Patrick going to the Nashville Predators. Uh, or was it the, it might've been Vegas actually. Um, in that three team trade, they also dumped Shane Goss despair. Uh, I think it was to Arizona. They actually gave up a second and a seventh to get rid of the contract and got nothing in return. Uh, they were just looking to get rid of Goss despair. Um, and so a lot of shuffling in the back end for the Flyers, a team that I had high expectations for going into this season. I picked them to win that division. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs. Um, and so it looks like they're looking to get some veteran leadership in the, on the blue line. And uh, Ristolainen and Ellis are solid players now, but also getting up there in age. And so maybe they're they're taking a chance. They they trust them over Goss Bear. Uh, they trust them over some of the other guys they moved out and, and some big moves. We'll see if, if that ends up working out for them, but taking a lot of, on a lot of salary in those deals as well. Yeah. I mean, that's probably part of the Voracek dump of moves that don't necessarily raise the immediate value while reducing the win now window. So I, I think after a really disappointing season, you do have to make some sort of big drastic change. You can't count on your luck being better next season, especially with that unique division format. It's really hard to know how the matchups are going to go this coming season. You just don't really have the data to bank on that. So yeah, going to have to familiarize ourselves really with these NHL rosters, especially after free agency. Some of them are going to look very different. It's a lot of rosters to keep up on to now with 32, um, as opposed to just 35 years ago. Indeed. Uh, another one where I'm not too sure what's going on, the Columbus Blue Jackets, we've mentioned dropping Atkinson, picking up Voracek. I'm We'll see come free agency time what the deal with line A is, but in the same vein of thought of that win now, I guess, prospect window dumping probably their best blue liner, Seth Jones, to the Chicago Blackhawks. This one really caught me off guard. Yeah, Zach Wierenski may have something to say about that best blue liner comment, but uh, definitely up there. Yeah, uh, and then Chicago getting that eight-year extension down on paper too, I think at 9.5, which is a big, big number for Seth Jones. Obviously, in that Leaf series, we saw he was the best player in that series, logging a ton of minutes, making an impact on both ends of the ice. He's a big dude with a great offensive skill set and something really exciting. Chicago, I thought they had learned from long-term deals with defensemen uh, entering their prime, as we've seen them trying to get rid of Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook near the ends of their careers. That'll what Seth Jones will be in the seventh, eighth years of those contracts. But um, a win-now move as they're coming out of a bit of a retooling phase and looking to, to make a jump next season. And that's a big piece to add now. I was surprised that they managed that Columbus managed to get what they did in return. I think it was two first round picks and, and, uh, a prospect of some kind because Seth Jones, I believe just had three teams that he wanted to get traded to on his, uh, movement list. So it was Chicago, Dallas, and Colorado, Colorado couldn't do it. And then Dallas, I think, uh, was tough for them to rejig things with the cap. So really only Chicago could make it work and they got a, a decent price in return for Seth Jones and, um, they move off of not being able to pay him that big number. They bring in Voracek, I guess, as the plug for that salary. And, uh, they got to get line a done. That's their big to-do list item, uh, for this off season. And, and we'll see what they do from there. Yeah. That's really going to shape the trajectory of where this team goes. What kind of deal they reach with line a is going to say, everything about what management's hopes and expectations for the team are this coming season. 
The next trade we have listed here, the New York Rangers sending Pavel Buchnevich to the St. Louis Blues for Sammy Blay and a second-round pick. Buchnevich is one of those guys, I think, who's been buried a little bit in the lineup, sitting behind Panarin um, and a couple other guys on that Rangers squad. It's tough to lose him, but I think he is in the final year of his contract going to be asking for a decent number. And, and so St. Louis looking to... Uh, probably plug the hole for Vladimir Tarasenko when he eventually gets traded. Cause I think that's going to happen this off season. Um, so a scoring guy who maybe you can elevate in the lineup and, and give you some production in, in that new role. I guess the last big trade to get through here, the Vancouver Canucks finally getting their guy. They've been tied to this dude for like the last two, three years. They finally make it work. It's a big salary dump on both sides. I believe they got rid of Erickson and Beagle and Roussel all in this trade, plus a pick. Uh, and in return, they grab Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland, a massive trade for the Vancouver Canucks. Two stud players. Uh, OEL now on the back end of his prime, it seems like. Uh, they're taking a chance here. It, it was a guy that if they got a couple of years ago would be huge, but now is, is more of a name and less of maybe what he can actually bring to this team. The Canucks are all in on him saying he's going to be their number one D guy. He's going to be a great fit with Quinn Hughes there uh, on the left side. And maybe it's just a new change of scenery for him will actually help him elevate his game and, and turn back the clock just a little bit. Um, it seems like a solid pickup for the Canucks and they get rid of a lot of those other salaries. They're going to be stuck with OEL's contract a couple years from now when he gets older, uh, which will be tough, but I guess it's it's a win now, pay later type scenario. And then Connor Garland, I was surprised that he was also included in this trade. Good forward. I think he's a bit overpaid as well. So it was teams getting rid of salary on both sides. And, and Arizona seems to be a bit of a way station right now for teams looking to get rid of big contracts in exchange for picks, which is what they should be doing because they had to forfeit a bunch of picks for the, uh, the incident last year regarding the uh, unofficial testing of prospects. Yeah, I you make a good point about the kind of, uh, I don't know how to quite say it, but it's like a treadmill running of cap hell and they managed to give themselves some leeway, but you know that's going to roll them right back into cap hell in a couple of years, but I thought that Erickson contract was untradeable. So to be able to drop it and get a guy who's going to play on your roster, <laughs> huge. Um, Quinn Hughes also, there might be some intangibles there. I think this guy can be a franchise level offensive defenseman. The upside on him is huge. So any move you make that potentially helps that upside is going to be that much more worthwhile so i really like this trade for the canucks we'll have to check in in a few years where ekman larson is at i certainly haven't heard his name as much in recent years as past so my brain might still be a little stuck in 2016 when i celebrate this trade for the canucks but on first glance i really like it for them definitely an nhl video game sweetheart Oliver Ekman Larson in many years past, always a trade target. Um, so a little bit of bias there from the uh, armchair GMs back home. We arrive at the NHL draft, which once again, they do such a poor job marketing this. And also the product is just very poor compared to the NBA and the NFL drafts, even the MLB draft, uh, which I never watch because it happens during the season is, is just as entertaining. I think the NHL could do a much better job, um, but really fun storylines coming out of this uh, and also some not so fun ones, but we will go with the fun first. Oh, and power uh, Buffalo moves off of Rasmus Ristolainen. And so in replace, they get a cornerstone defensive prospect that they can put along Rasmus Dahlin um, would be a great young one too there in Buffalo. Um, and so congrats to Owen power of the Michigan Wolverines. I think there were three Michigan Wolverines taken in the top five picks. Uh, but cool to see there were some rumors that he wasn't going to want to be drafted to Buffalo and that he might go back to school. But I think now with Ristolainen at the door, he's going to see, he's got a great opportunity to be already like a top two 
defensive player and just jump right into the league? And how can you not pass up that opportunity? Congrats and our condolences for going to <laughs> Buffalo. Hey, caramba. Just, uh, we'll see. Maybe this is the right um, cup of water to put on the moving, burning train wreck and try and put that fire out. But yeah, this the guy I heard consistently projected to go number one, goes number one, not a big shock. Hopefully, with hockey especially, I feel like you constantly hear about prospects being rushed and never hitting their ceiling because of that. Buffalo, a team where you can imagine it. So plenty to follow there. We're going to make a hard right turn out of that into baseball banter, which is essentially just going to be an update on my weekend. (laughs) So I went to my first uh, live sporting event in a year and a half, the London majors. And, uh, my first baseball game I attended in, in nearly three years, saw a complete game shutout, 140 pitch performance, uh, from the major starter and they got the win and there was about 10,000 people there. It was quite the crowd, quite the event, uh, lots and lots of fun. It's the only thing really to do in London. So people were packing the, the field to watch it. There's and, 10,000 uh, people in London. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, another W on the board in softball this weekend with some controversy. So in softball, you cannot lead off. You have to stay on the base until the contact is made. And we had uh, an old rules official uh, student of the game on our team who made a pretty questionable call on someone leading off of the base early in the bottom of the seventh with uh, the game on the line. And the out was called. And the other team was not happy. And uh, I walked away from that with a bit of a icky feeling. So here's to softball being better next weekend. And here's to uh, just a better week in general. I'm looking forward to watching more Olympics as we go over the next couple of days. Yes. You've been, thank you for inspiring me to have that on the TV as much as possible over the next week. Looking forward to watching it and looking forward to talking do you about it next Thursday? Until then, Sports Next Door signing off. <laughs>